Hi there. Hi, everyone. I have. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I have everyone's favorite person here to help me introduce the interview. It is none other than my wife. My wife, Anne, who you all seem to love more than me. <laughs> No place I'd rather be except sitting on the couch watching a baseball game, finishing this beer. This is that's exactly where you're not. So that's that tells everyone a lot at home. But it, it no, doesn't really matter because Jamie doesn't actually let me watch baseball. Okay, so. but regardless of the fact that you'd rather be doing that, and you make that very clear every time you're on the show, um, everybody seems to really love you. And every time you're on, we get calm. Like you're starting to get a big head over it. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not going to lie. I'm a crowd pleaser, Jamie. It's just the way I am. <laughs> Natural talent can't be really buried or hidden. It's true. When it shines, it shines. It's true. This and is my I... light is a bright one. It is. Uh, uh, this is... <laughs> preaching to the choir here. <laughs> oh, Aaron Woods, this is why I love you. This is why I love you. Anyway, it's such a pleasure to have my wife, Anne, um, helping me introduce this episode. And the truth of the matter is it's spring break craziness and our children are off and I just messed up and didn't schedule uh, a co-host. <laughs> <laughs> so my wife is filling in. Here I am. As a good sport, as the good sport that she is. And I appreciate that. I appreciate you, Anne. I appreciate you too, Jamie. Thanks for dinner tonight. No problem. Thanks for thanks for thanking me. I appreciate it. Thanks for making the kids lunches. I appreciate that. Anytime. This is this is this is a lesbian parenting relationship. Here it is. Yeah. 50-50, baby. 50-50. I hate making the lunches, but I won't let her make them anyway. So I'm not allowed good. to make the lunches. And I'm also not allowed to fold the laundry, which I'm down with. 100%. She's a brilliant human being, but she can't pack a lunch for shit. That's not true. They like my lunches. All right, we'll take pictures of them and see them see what the crowd thinks. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Anyway, so um, I got my hair colored today and we went a little wild. We went a little crazy with it. And I, I like it now. It took me a second. It took me, it took me a while. I went like platinum and I felt like it was like a real lesbian move, but like a lesbian in their twenties. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh shit. And I said to the hairstylist, so I was like, do I look like an 80 year old now? Cause I do sort of like my hair looks like I just let it go all gray, which is fine, which is cool. It's a look. It's a look. But here's the thing, Anne. I was walking down the street after I got it done and thinking, wow, I look like super gay now. Like I must look because I have short hair and now it's like dyed platinum. And I not platinum. It's like bleached white. And I was like, okay, I really look like a lesbian now. And then at first I was like, yeah. And then... And then I was like, uh-oh. And then I was like, oh, shit, please don't let anybody yell dyke at me. Like, that is still in there. Does that ever go away? I don't know. But, Jamie, you could put on a flannel shirt and baggy <laughs> jeans, and you're still not going to look gay. And I could put on my <laughs> wedding dress, and people are like, oh, she's gay. <laughs> Let's be real here. 
You said it. I didn't. Uh, it's true. No, but uh, no, but no. I look gay now. <laughs> I look more okay. gay than I used to. Like, I mean, oh, as yeah. like for folks who say you're gay, they're so gay. You know what I mean? Like for the stereotype of gay. I, I don't like think so. But I'm if you do, that's it. still great because <laughs> you are gay. So. And I appreciate that you're gay. I But I did. I got afraid that somebody was going to yell like a slur at me, which is so ridiculous because it only happened to me once in my life and I was in my 20s. You know what I mean? And yep. it's because I was like kissing my girlfriend. But anyway. See, that's what Jamie has to do to be identified <laughs> as gay. Actually be kissing another woman. <laughs> no, also I have a podcast that also... Now. And only gay people know about the podcast, so you're all still in a safe zone. It's true. Oh, my God. Okay, all right, all right, all right. We have to get into the episode, the interview that we're talking about today. Okay, so this story, Anne, is heavy. Like, it's heavy. Like we keep, It's sad. It's not sad. I'll tell you this. It gives you, like, a different perspective on things than you've had before. So Jack fell pregnant in their earlier years. On fell? Ex- yeah, that's how they say it in Australia, so I'm going with that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was fell pregnant. Say, I like that. I they fell. fell pregnant. Nobody in our community falls pregnant, but it makes some of it us seem do. like it's really complete. <laughs> like I had no idea. I didn't see that curb coming. I did not see that sperm coming, and it just it fell. Okay. It fell at me. Okay, no, <laughs> it fell into my vagina. <laughs> oh, and gravity works strange in Australia. Well, they are down under. Okay. All right. So I'm not dissing Australia. I would desperately, desperately love to go. So if anybody wants to pay for our trip to Australia <laughs> so I can experience this uh, lingo firsthand, I would be happy to go. That's okay. So definite ask right there for sure. Okay. So Jack fell pregnant unexpectedly in their youth, right? And then, you know, we're dealt the conundrum, like, what am I going to do, obviously, and decided while they were pregnant, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to give this baby up for adoption, but really, really contemplated the decision, all this stuff. And then, brave, hmm? brave, brave, right. And then, and then after, and then they found a wonderful gay male couple. They found like the perfect couple. They said, okay, this is the one, you know, right. Um, and then the baby was born and there's that time, every state is different, but there's a time when the the, the birth mother can be with the child for uh, however long or whatever. And they stayed with the child during that time. And Jack really goes in depth about the feelings and, and really like the, the, the weighing of the decision. Like I, they loved this baby. Of course. Yes. How do you not? Right. Um, and then, you know, the weighing of the decision of, okay, am I going to do this? And it just made me, I, I said to, I said to them at one point, and I, I'm going to, I don't, I'm going to say too much, but like, I, what a wonderful gift you gave them. And they said, I hate it when people say that to me. I hate it when people say that to me because I don't see, I, 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 I don't, and I don't want to, that's, that's where I'm going to leave it with. That's, that's it. That's what no, I'm going to say. That's a cliffhanger. Is it? Is it? No, is it not okay. enough? Is it no, good? It's okay. Yeah. Just because it gave me new perspective on how to think of you know because we're always saying what a gift they gave you, what a gift. They, but let's let's think about the birth mother here. Let's think about the birth parent and the sacrifice. Yeah. And the reasons why it's it. Uh, it just gave me so much perspective. Such a wonderful story and really just opened my eyes to 
a lot. So I'm really excited to introduce this interview, and it's time for us to ask you know who to roll the tape. Do you know who, Anne? She doesn't know who. I she do doesn't know, know who. who. No, you don't. Who is it? I have a brain freeze right now, and I can't remember <laughs> the smokers, the chain smokers in the other room. Helen and Beulah. Oh, Helen. Yeah. Oh, Helen. Helen and Beulah, will you please, please roll that tape? Peace. Love is love is love on the Queer Family Podcast. Love is love. Wait, Helen, stop. Before you roll that tape, I need to mention one thing. I have to mention Patreon. If you all like this show and you want to keep hearing these super important LGBTQIA plus family stories, you can help. You can join my Patreon community. You got I've got various tiers on the page starting at just two bucks a month. You're going to do a good thing and you're going to get bonus content like videos of most episodes dropped a day early, crazy behind the scenes shenanigans of yours truly trying to get it together, <laughs> and anything else I can think of to keep you all entertained and engaged. You're just going to head to patreon.com slash the queer family podcast to join. And a huge, 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 huge thank you to all you Patreons who are already supporting this show. It means the world to me. I couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Helen and Beulah, please roll that tape. Queer family podcast. Love is love. Hi, Jack. It is good to see you again. Um, Y'all don't know, but me and Jack just met at the, um, where did we meet? What was it? The LGBTQ task force in San Francisco that we were both at and we. Yeah, we were in the anti-racism day-long institute. It was, it's such a blur. But yes, there was a lot. And I was only there for um, two days. You were there the whole time. So Woo! welcome to the Queer Fam Pod, as I like to call it. You are now a member of the Queer Fam Squad. I'm trying to get I used to I'm trying to get used to saying that, but I sound I feel so cheesy when I say it. But I'm going to make it a thing. You need to give us your 30 second elevator pitch of who you are and why you're here talking to the Queer Fam Squad. Hi, I'm Jack McCarthy. That's M A C McCarthy. I am a writer living in Los Angeles. I am the communications manager for the Outwards Archive, which records, preserves, and shares the stories of LGBTQ plus elders. And I am a trans person and birth mother to a 10-year-old child who was adopted by a gay couple in 2012. Okay. So everybody, all y'all at home, I just want you to know, I don't really know all of Jack's story. I just heard basically <laughs> the top line of what y'all just heard while we were drinking beers at a bar one night at the convention. And I was like, I need to hear more, but don't tell me anymore. Don't tell me anymore. You're coming on the show. You're going to tell the story. So we're all going to learn Jack's story as it unfolds. So let's get into your journey to being a birth mother. 2012, I am living in New York City in Astoria, Queens with roommates. I'm working a underpaid job that is flexible enough to self-produce my own plays. I had come from a theater background and I had defaulted on every student loan. So my wages were being garnished by 25% and I get pregnant. Oh, how, how, how'd that happen, Jack? <laughs> We went from debt to pregnancy. I'm pretty sure that doesn't get you pregnant. I don't know, though. You never know in our community. You really never know. Like, if get, if being in debt could get you pregnant, like, it would be a different world. Yeah. 
I tend not to talk about the person who got me pregnant that much uh, because his story isn't my story to tell, but he was a friend of mine. It was not a situation where doing anything together seems to be on the table. Can I ask, were you, did you identify as queer at that time? I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a slut by nature, but there was only one person I was being slutty with at the time who <laughs> was able to get me pregnant, <laughs> even though I was also being slutty in other ways and with other people. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm attracted to human adults. In this political climate, it feels so stupidly. I'm like, I feel like I have to clarify that they're adults. Isn't that sad? Well, because because by nature, you know, there are yeah. is a huge group of individuals who would like to call you a pervert, me a pervert. We're all perverts. So then the next jump is obviously they're also doing it with kids, you know, which is ridiculous. But I did not identify as trans at the time that came later. Let me just throw all the caveats on top of this, because sometimes anti-abortion folks try to latch on to my story and use it as fodder for their agenda. Let me just come out and say how incredibly pro-choice I am and how this experience made me even more pro-choice, but um, I just didn't want an abortion for myself. Your body, your choice. Exactly. That's Hell the yeah. point. Hell yeah. That's the point. Yeah. yeah. Look at my shirt. I'm wearing a pro Roe v. Wade shirt. How funny. Yeah. I actually was referred to my adoption agency by Planned Parenthood. I took a home pregnancy test like at my office on my lunch break and was like, oh shit. Okay. <laughs> Just like that, too. Just, oh, shit. Okay. My body was just doing something a little different. And I thought, I feel like I'm being paranoid and imagining that it might be this. So I'll just take this pregnancy test so that I know and can, like, put that fear aside. And then it was positive. Mm. (laughs) Right. Oh, my God. It's like what we do with COVID tests now. Yep. Yep. Feeling a little stuffy. So I just take it just to make sure I don't have it. Damn, I have it. (laughs) I immediately started thinking adoption as soon as I got that first positive pregnancy test. But I thought I'll go to Planned Parenthood and pee in a cup there to make sure it's not a false positive. A very concerned social worker sits down with me and says, so you are. And she's clearly bracing for me to have a big emotional experience. And even at the time was thinking like I wanted it to be a a queer couple. She said, okay, well, this is the adoption agency that we work with and gives me their brochure. And I'm actually feeling really good at this point. This is in my mid twenties. I'm at the point in my life, life just seems like a big adventure and like I'm just interested in doing things that seem, including this one. Wow. I mean, if I had gotten pregnant in my mid twenties, I was so like focused on my career and making it and all that I would have freaked the fuck out. That was just kind of how I saw life was like, even if something's a bad experience, then maybe I'll learn something important from it. There's definitely me before this experience and me after this experience in like a BCAD way. Right. It's a huge, 
Huge decision. You say you're interested in adoption. You knew you wanted to give to a gay couple. And before we get to that, had, did, did you tell the friend with benefits who... I don't like to get into his part of it too much. He wasn't really that present for most of this. Um, I will say that today he does have a relationship with our kid like I do. Yeah, he just... This did not fit into what his life and priorities were at the time. In the vein of seeing this as a cool adventure, I told like everyone, I was very public about what was happening. And an interesting thing that happened is that when I posted about it on Facebook, people came out of the woodwork reaching out to me saying they were interested in adopting my baby. People I hadn't talked to in years, friends of friends. Wow. It was so many people and it was really overwhelming. Yeah. I can imagine. And so what do you do with that? And I realized pretty quickly, like the first couple of people that contacted me, I was like, oh yeah, maybe we could talk about that. And then contact kept coming from new people and there kept being more. And I realized I can't do this. I can't go this route. It's too much. And there was one couple that I was friends with. They had produced my first full length play in New York. And we sat down and talked about it or tried to talk about it, but they didn't want to step on my toes or be out of turn or too forward. And I thought we were there to talk about what this could mean or look like. I kept trying to actually have that conversation that I thought we were there to have. And they kept kind of backing away from it. That made me feel like it can't be someone I know. It can't be someone that I already have this existing relationship mm -hmm. with and all the baggage and expectations and dynamics that we already have, I need to be able to start fresh with someone. I had already reached out to the adoption agency that Planned Parenthood gave me the brochure for, and I was meeting with a social worker there on a regular basis. So I just continued meeting with her. And when I did start looking when I did get to a point where it made sense to start considering pre-adoptive families, I just did it all through the agency. Did you have a support system at this point? I mean, I know you said you told everyone. People would go to my doctor's appointments with me or I had this very loving, supportive network of friends who was showing up for me. But that's also such a tough position to be in like yeah but the thing about that is like I didn't know any other single mothers in New York City who were doing theater mm. I remember going to auditions in New York City back in the day when I was auditioning and there would be there were these two moms who always had their kids with them young kids and it looked like hell for them and I remember thinking never yeah. Oh my God, never. No. Because those audition waiting rooms yeah. are not a fun place to yeah. be. Yeah. It starts out with kind of general counseling and, and them learning more about me, more about what my personal history and life history has been and 
they learn more about my medical history and and I've started this much earlier than birth mothers generally do. And by this point, I've gone from like, this will be a fun adventure to a few moments of like, oh my God, this is so scary. And then I would have those crying fits and Mm -hmm. it would be cathartic. And then afterwards I would feel calmer. And then I would continue feeling like this is a cool adventure. So she says, do you wanna look at the book? My social worker had gone out of the room for a bit and she comes back in with like a fresh sheet for the book and sets it down and is like hot off the press. And it's this like couple that looks amazing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I I definitely want to know more about these guys. So you see these handsome men. We always talk about on this show um, the search for Superman and we equate that to the donor search. You know, because we we get real crazy. We get all up in our heads about all kinds of things regarding sperm donors and egg donors. So the front page is a letter to the birth mother. And then there's info about them. So what, what made you finally decide on the family you decided on? The next session after that is the when I got to learn a lot of detail. So we meet. Okay. We, we meet at the adoption agency with their social worker and my social worker. It totally is love at first sight for me. Wow. And and was the feeling mutual? The vibe I got was that it was very much mutual. And how? what happens from there? The agency paid for that for me. Not a lawyer, but my they did pay my doctor bills. During that last trimester, I'm meeting with a doula and making a birth plan. And we are emailing about baby names, me and the dads. So they were including you in the decision for what to name the baby. Once we started talking and thinking about him as Leo, so it's starting to feel already like theirs and not mine. And so some, so the baby is born and then, and then a volunteer takes the baby. I spent my 48 hours in the hospital and the, the baby was with me. And so those like those 48 hours in the hospital were amazing. Like the day my son was born was like truly one of the best days of my life. The, yeah. I mean, all the cliches, like the minute you meet your child, you fall in love. Like, absolutely. So how did you make your decision? How did you? When my son left the hospital without me, I collapsed. It went from this joyful celebration and like cooing over this cute amazing baby to like feeling like I couldn't stand up it was like the muscles in my stomach stopped working to like hold me up anymore um and just like crying harder than I've ever cried in my life and so now the volunteer is taking care of the baby while you have your time to to kind of sit with it and decide what you're gonna do and the the hopeful adoptive parents are just kind of in limbo, <laughs> waiting to see what happens. Oh my god, what yeah. a hard place for so yeah. many people. Yeah, except Leo. Like Leo is well taken care of. Like I met I met this volunteer, and like she's she was just so she was so loving and lovely, and like clearly knew 
very well what she was doing. Like she's done this with a lot of babies. And- that's a cool job. That's a cool like volunteer. But then you fall in love with the babies too. So maybe it's, I don't know. Like, oh my God, so many. Yeah. <laughs> they are really fucking awesome to be around, especially the, uh-huh. the ones that are like quiet. <laughs> <laughs> But even the loud ones, I had I had one of those. Um, I still look back on those days fondly. Actually, actually, I don't know. I'm going to have to rethink that. I'm going to give that some more thought for later. That was a tough time. Basically, I had a month. I didn't have to take the whole month, but I had a month. And so during that month, I could see Leo at the adoption agency once a week. And so the first time I see him, it's just three days after leaving the hospital. And I'm absolutely wrecked and like I got a flu shot in the hospital and like I'm having flu symptoms and like I'm like I don't know what my body is doing on so many levels and I'm so sad and broken and um and like and so I show up like I can't you can't ask me like how are you doing without me just like dissolving into tears like um but like I see him and I hold him and I'm just like all all the like grief and like sadness and everything like when I'm holding him when I'm with him like that that's like not even there I'm just like so happy to be with him um and so like by the end of the visit like by the time I leave Mm -hmm. I'm actually like okay I'm okay just from seeing him, like, like feeling okay. I didn't know what I was going to do, but just like, I feel okay now that I've seen him. And then the next visit a week later, um, like by this point, I've been doing a lot of crying and I've been talking it through with, with my friends and my therapist. And like, I, I've been looking at the different options in a lot of detail. And so I've, I've considered like, if I do parent and like, again, I am in so much debt, I'm having my wages garnished, but I'm like, there is an aunt in Westchester, I could stay with for a while while I like save up money for my own place. And like, there, like, there are these steps I could take, it would require on like, a number of best case scenarios working out, but it's, it's conceivable. It's, it's not impossible. Uh huh. And at any point, you can just say, "I'm keep. I'm. I'm. I'm going to come get him right now, and he's mine." No, no. They, they have not met him. Oh, they haven't met him. Oh, okay. Oh, this is. I have never heard. I've never heard an yeah. adoption story like this. Yeah. Which I, I'm sure I haven't heard a lot of ado- different adoption stories, but this is this is new to me. Okay. I feel like I have to offer my son as a parent is my love like but there's a level of stability I can't give him and it's like it's this open adoption he is still going to get my love no matter what and the amount the the fee that a pre-adoptive family had to pay the agency at the time was what I made in a year before wage garnishments if you have if you have the if you have the money to pay an adoption agency you're just in a very different financial situation than i was 
even with having health insurance, because I had health insurance at the time, but I was like, when there's an unexpected medical issue and there's an unexpected like copay, doctor's copay that I have to budget for, like that, that throws off my finances. Like that is sometimes that means that I have to like be late paying a utility or something, Um, even with health insurance. I was like, I do not want to put a kid in that position. So um, I just, I just kept landing at like the, the stability and the resources that I wanted for my child. And like, I just couldn't, I just couldn't do the math in a way where I truly believed his life would be better if I raised him. I had been doing all that, like soul searching and thinking. And so then at the second visit, I found myself starting to sing Mariah Carey's Always Be My Baby to him. (laughs) And it's like, like, that's a song about letting someone go. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, 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 I know, yeah. I know. I oh, know. God, I'm going to cry. I'm singing it in my head now. Come and, on. Like, I, <laughs> like, I'm not even, I'm not even thinking about it when I start singing. Come on, it's Jack. Like, it's a song that has the word baby in it. I start singing it. And then I, as I keep singing it, I'm like, oh, wait, shit. Mm. <laughs> I know, I know. It's- oh my God. Nobody's going to hear that song the same who <laughs> listens to this you episode now. <laughs> you um, always be a part of me. My name at the time <laughs> was Mariah, <just> saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Okay. Um, Shit. All right. And Synchronicities all over the place I here. didn't mention before is that my doula was also a birth mother. Like she's the first birth mother my age and who has an experience with, who has experience with an open adoption that I've ever met. And Mm -hmm. so I like after that visit where I'm singing Mariah Carey to my child, I'm like, oh, I think I'm, I think, I think I'm realizing that like, I'm ready to let this go. And that I like, there's actually nothing to decide. I've kind of already decided. And so I like reach out to her and I'm like, I think I'm ready to let him go. And she's like, yeah, I remember that feeling. Yeah. Holy shit. That's deep. I mean, it's just like, I feel like I just need to take a lot of exhales right now. (laughs) Shit. And I'm so happy for the dads. And I'm like, God, the precarious place they were in through this time. I gave myself a few days to think about it and just make sure I was sure. and. I forget exactly what order things happened in. I do remember that at some point in this process, their profile had said they were open to like a certain number of visits a year, which was already more than most other families listed in their profiles. But I was like, I would love for it to be even more than that. So there was a point, I forget if it was before or after this, where I asked my social worker to talk to their social worker and see if they would be open to like more visits than they had previously listed. Um, And so I had to different, different people's schedules, like um, Carmela was the woman taking care of Leo. 
um, Carmela's and the dads and like the social workers, we just had to make sure everyone's schedules lined up um, to so that we could all like come in and um, transfer this baby. Um, and so the day before we did that, I came in and signed all the papers. Um, and the like the language is like really, really severe. Like it's like there's no question that you are signing away all your parental rights. And um, and then the next day I had like my final one-on-one -on -one visit with Leo. And then the dads were in another room at the agency. And so I like, I like walked in holding him and like handed him to them. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. God. I'm like crying. I'm just, uh, yeah. And yeah, if this I were mean, a movie, God, I'd be sobbing uh, right now. It was, I mean, mm -mm. emotional roller coaster doesn't even begin to cover it because like a roller coaster is a thing that goes up and down but like at many points in this I'm up and down at the same time I'm like I'm devastated and actually fine or like even really happy like at the same time I'm like broken and okay I'm like I'm basically I have to from this point on like restart as a human like reset like rebuild myself on a cellular level because um, this has like kind of disintegrated the old me. Yeah. Yeah. But like it's yeah. rocked you to your but core. But also feeling a, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's taking you down to your stuff. But also feeling a sense of peace and just like knowing that this is the right thing and like, and also feeling like mm -hmm. I know that the dads are gonna love this kid but I also feel like we are going to love each other as family and that we are that we are family and like I've I've gained I've gained family through this like the, there's no there's no loss like this in anything in the there's no loss like this in the world but I I also feel like the the loving potential of this new relationship with them and and also i've been i've been disintegrated as a as a human so a lot of lot of contradiction so they their move from new york to la is part of what prompted my move from new york to la um and so my kid is doing great he's in circus school and he can do incredible things on like aerial silks and stuff and tumbling and oh that's amazing yeah yeah that's awesome I was in circus school I was hardcore yeah yeah I took I took gymnastics as a kid and I there was like a limit to what I could do because I would like hesitate at the last minute and like then I couldn't do it so he's awesome he's doing great and how's the relationship as the kid changes and as the world changes, then there's new challenges to figure out. So like when my kid got COVID uh, like a year ago, one year ago, two years ago, a year ago, when my kid got COVID a year ago, <laughs> like, and I find out from him texting me. So like a, a very sick nine-year-old is like telling me what's happening. And I'm like, I... 
the information is so unclear and I'm like, this should have come from an adult and I'm like freaking out because like my kid is sick and I can't do anything and I don't know what's going on. And like also his like his papa is also has COVID. So everyone's like, it's I like moments like that or moments like finding out that they're moving to LA, like our our relationship is very like communicative and like I feel I feel really like there's there's ways in which I get to connect both with my kid and his dads and like have hard conversations and like be heard and like have my um like my my boundaries respected and like there's there's so much that is so like rich and like works in this relationship but the basic structure of the relationship is that I'm powerless and so the relationship can be great and that's still they're still I still signed my parental rights away and they still make the decision about what happens in his life and I may have input on those decisions sometimes but like mostly I don't and I I so I have these moments where it's like my kid has COVID and there's nothing I can do my kid is moving across the country and there's nothing I can do yeah he is he is my kid he's not my kid in the same way that he's their kid but like he is still my kid and it's complicated yeah it's complicated it's complicated and I think it's really I'm so glad to hear your perspective on it. And because, you know, a lot of times you'll talk to adoptive parents and it's really easy. And I think it's kind of also a coping mechanism for all of us to just kind of assume that the birth mother has gone on with their life and has moved on and is completely at peace and um, has moved on from the situation. But it's not always that. It's not clean cut like that. And even, even, even when birth mothers give their children up and it's like, like in the old days, I'm going to say like the closed adoptions and the birth, you know, that doesn't mean that that birth mother was ever okay. I've met exactly one birth mother who like claimed that she was ever like, okay, from the experience, I've not met a single other birth mother who, who was just like, yep, that happened. And like, I'm at peace. And like, like, it's a, it's a wound it's a loss and it's forever <laughs> and you can even the the ones who who relinquished and then are are reunited or like even in the case of open adoption like now having met more birth mothers it like who also have open adoptions like it's hard for all of us it's like the i still I'm glad it's becoming more of an industry standard because it does have the best mental health outcomes for both the adoptee and the birth parent. But like that doesn't mean that it's easy or that it's not still this lifelong loss. So, yeah, there's like I think a lot of stories about adoption and like popular ways that we culturally conceive of adoption is based on this idea that like the birth mother either doesn't exist or like is um only only exists at the moments when it's like 
easy to think about, but like that, right. that loss and that grief is mm-hmm. really erased from the picture because like the, the people who fund adoption are adoptive parents. And so even if individual workers within the industry have like, have great values at the end of the day, it's still set up for the people who are funding it. Mm. Hmm. And yeah. Yeah. And both truths and both, it all coexists together. Nothing goes away. There's, it's this and it's also this. God. Yeah. But it's also such a beautiful thing. Yes. And yes. And I, I, I have to be honest with you. I hate hearing that. (laughs) Like I, I didn't do, I didn't do it for them. I did it for Leo. And like, I was broke, you know, it's not like I, it's, it's not something I did to like, be nice or like as a gift to them. And like, when people refer to it as like, you gave them such a gift, I'm like, Mm. he's a, he's a human, he's a child. Like, I didn't, I didn't, that's not, that's not the lens in which I did it. And like, it's just. And it's, it's like, yeah, I see that because people who, who like have, who are so in favor of like my story and who are coming from a place of wanting to like show support for me. um, There's, but there's just all this, like these cultural narratives of adoption we've all been swimming in like it's that just kind of becomes the default and when Mm -hmm. you're inside of it and when you're the person who has experienced the loss that made that whole series of events possible it it feels different it feels really different to hear those things right I hear that I really hear that and I mean like you're like in the eye of the hurricane and I am so grateful to hear your story, honestly, and to just, uh, you've given me a lot to think about. I think you've given a lot of our listeners, a lot, uh, our listeners a lot to think about, especially, you know, our families, we come about in many ways. One of them is through adoption and we have to be mindful of all the pieces that make adoptions possible. Yeah. 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 It's. And it's the kind of thing that like, you don't know until you know, like I, I had a lot of these, like, I had a lot of these, these same ideas about like what it meant to do this until I was the one doing it. And then I find out, oh, like <laughs> it's not just a cool adventure. Like, <laughs> It's not, yeah. Hindsight's a bitch, huh? And It's also the queerness is interesting because like, you know, part of why I wanted to do it this way is because I'm queer. Um, And as my like gender expression and my name has changed and pronouns have changed, then navigating like, okay, I'm, I'm presenting in a different way. And I'm asking the, I'm asking my kid and his dads to address me a different way and see me a different way. And that feels really fraught because it's like 
I don't want to take away my kids quote mom. Oh shit. So many fucking layers, Jack. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So many layers. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. 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 He he gave me a Mother's Day card addressed to Jack slash mom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. and he called. Did he call you mom before? He did. Okay, <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, holy shit, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. I want to hear. Listen, you have to up. I mean, you know, it's not all your business to tell. Like, I know that there are three other people involved in this story. So I'm like, send us updates, send us pictures of Leo. Like, okay, Jamie, chill. But I, you know, I listen, I wish you all the best. And if you ever have any updates that are that you want to share and are shareable, I'm invested. We're all invested now. Well, um, keep, I mean, we're going to stay in touch, you and I. So, you know, keep keep me informed, Thank and you. I wish you. Thank you. Like, I'm sending all the all the good well being in the world your way always. Thank you for yeah. having me, and thank you for telling this story. Queer Family Podcast. <sighs> well, folks, I really hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. What a good story! But but the conversation is not over, folks. Be sure you're following the show on all the socials. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at the Queer Family Podcast. You're going to get photos of all the guests there, some videos, and just, you know, all around fun from yours truly. Who doesn't want that? Don't miss out. You don't want FOMO. Nobody wants FOMO. And don't forget to join me on Patreon to help me create this super important queer content. You're going to head to patreon.com slash thequeerfamilypodcast to sign up and get that bonus content. And one more thing, if you love this show and want to represent your love for us and our beautiful families, you need to head to our shop and get some Queer Family Podcast merchandise. We've got so many... We've got so many designs, and you can put these designs on any product in the store. We've got t-shirts, mugs, hoodies, notebooks, face masks, laptop cases. You're just going to go to tpublic.com and search for the Queer Family Podcast. Or you can find our store at Lincoln Bio on our Instagram page. Or you can find the shop on our website at thequeerfamilypodcast.com. There's so many ways. So many ways. Love is love. 